Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast from Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and we are back with another guest. That's two episodes in a row now where I'm not just talking to myself and you. I am bringing on other people. Again, this is an interesting time for me in terms of working from home still. We're approaching the year anniversary. I am needing more people to kind of bounce my ideas off of and really engage with. I'm not, you know, it used to be that when I would do the podcast, I would get a lot of my engagement during the day with my coworkers and in meetings and all of that stuff, you know, real face-to-face interactions. And so this was a space where I could kind of formulate my own takes on my own, you know, uh, kind of talk to myself, Colin Coward style. But it's been nice to have some people on to uh, go back and forth with. And this week, I am bringing back my NBA and basketball expert, Brian Kalbrowski. He's a jack of all trades over there for USA Today Sports Media Group and uh, my former coworker and colleague, and he is a current friend. So he is who I trust to bring on when I want to delve into the basketball world. And since we are in the NFL offseason, now is a good time to do it. It's crazy because the NFL offseason actually is currently crazier than it normally is, especially with all of the potential quarterback movement. We've already seen a Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford trade. Things are as crazy as they could possibly be. but. It still is the off season and nothing major is on the horizon as of right now. So I want to, you know, I think this conversation is interesting even for my non-basketball fans or peripheral basketball fans, because it really is all about the dynamics of fans and media and how we've begun to incorporate analytics into sports and the sort of tension between people who want the highlight and want to use the eye test and rely more on what we're seeing, you know, then they want to engage with analytics. And I think that there's a real misunderstanding about exactly the role that analytics play in sports and how we relate to that in sports media and as fans and exactly what analytics are and what they stem from. So it's a fairly juicy conversation. This is not a basketball X's and O's. This really is a larger, broader sports conversation that we're having today. And of course, right before we started this uh, conversation on Zoom, I said, Ryan, we're going to keep this to a tight 30. I really want to keep it tight this week. And uh, it went about 50 minutes. So I promise you it's a good, engaging conversation. It's longer than my average interview, but I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. That stuff coming up. I am now joined by the only person I will talk basketball with on my podcast, Brian Kalbrowski of Hoops Hype and For the Win, uh, doing a lot over at the USA Today Sports Media Group. Brian, thank you for being the only person that will come on here and talk basketball with me because number one, we'll talk about it anyway. You're the like you're the my go-to person when I have ideas about what's going on in the world. And number two, you don't you don't scare me as much of the, as like the rest of NBA Twitter. So I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, uh, I've pivoted my coverage fully from the NBA to NBA top shot, uh, slight pivot, <laughs> but I'm only interested in talking about, uh, cryptocurrency video highlights at this point. 
Um, I, my, I have tried my, incredibly hard to figure out what Top Shot is without actually like doing too much research. Like, let's see how, how long it takes for it to be on my timeline before I have to like Google what it is. To, like, I thought I could maybe figure it out from just reading a succession of tweets over the last week. I still don't get it. Would you like to know what it is? Would love to. Thank you. And I cannot be the only one. Yeah, you could just ask. <laughs> um, it is, I mean, I don't I don't own any Top Shot cards, so I'm not going to like fan myself as the Top Shot expert. Um, but, you know, essentially there are limited edition highlights that you own the same way you would own a trading card and people have been reselling them uh, for a lot more than they paid for it. Uh, my friend, you know, just now got a pack for a hundred dollars, and one of the cards in there is a bull bull highlight that is now being resold for like I think eighteen hundred dollars at the cheapest. Um, so you don't own the rights to the highlight, but you do own like the top shot version. It's the same way you would own a trading card, and because it's limited edition, that has value, um, and it's uh, backed up by blockchain and everything. So uh, a lot of the same tendencies that have to do with cryptocurrency and the explosion of the trading card market recently um, are kind of feeding into this, especially uh, considering I actually know what's happening with basketball. I've taken more of an interest than I have with, uh, you know, Dogecoin or uh, GameStop, but, you know, it's a, it's a lot of same stuff. Um, and it makes sense that it's popping off, but yeah, the return value right now has been crazy. Things are going for an insane amount of money compared to how much people are actually spending on it. But because the lines have been so long, um, like if you want cards right now, you can't really get one. I was in line for several hours today and was not able to get anything. Well, I mean, I'm really excited for you to potentially get something. Let me know what you get. I really ha- hope you get a real good <laughs> trash Celtics highlight in there. And... It's going to be my ticket out of here. You'll never hear from me again. <laughs> one, way, one way ticket to the moon, baby. Uh, okay, so now that I know what that is, I can feel like I can enter this NBA conversation with so much more clout and cred. I really understand the entire landscape right now. Like I said, I get very intimidated by NBA Twitter. I find it to be a real war zone sometimes and not in like, obviously that's, that's a little hyperbolic, but like there is just, uh, I feel like there's a daily argument where the divide is genuinely like people are mad. Like they're not debating. They want you to like, they want you to quit Twitter, delete your account, old school status. Recently, actually, as of like, I don't know, yesterday or something, uh, the reignited conversation was around analytics, which seems like we're having analytics conversations in every sport all the time. But in NBA specifically, it's interesting because the NBA, probably of the major sports we watch in the United States, has like changed the most drastically in the shortest amount of time in the way the game's played. Um, So number one, when we talk about stuff we see on Twitter and on the internet on this show, we are not coming for anyone specifically. This is a take that was put out on the social media for people to engage with. So we are engaging with it. I want to make that clear. Um, So we're going to be talking about uh, Bleacher Reports, Master Tez. He put out a video yesterday regarding analytics and sports nerds, meaning nerds who like analytics. And that's what we're going to be breaking down. I would like a disclaimer here. He's cool. I like Bleacher Report. I like Master Tez. This is just a bad take. Okay. And so like, that's what we're doing. I want to make that clear. I'll also add that, um, you know, his, his take wasn't in a vacuum. 
um, is, is say it was in response to a tweet um, from Nate Duncan, uh, who does some great work. I mean, he's currently even doing broadcasting for NBA TV, but uh, hosts the Dunked On podcast and uh, does another podcast at The Athletic with uh, John Hollinger. Um, and basically the context here is that um, number one overall pick Anthony Edwards had a massive slam dunk um, the other night against the Toronto Raptors. And shortly after that, um, you know, Twitter, as, as they do when a highlight happens, um, exploded. And as part of the discourse, as part of the narrative, um, Nate tweeted that uh, basically Anthony Edwards had a very inefficient night, 0 for 7 three-point range. Um, Nate's tweet also felt a little bit tone deaf. So yes. um, I yes. think that, you know, I, I, I do understand, you know, the fact that the the uh the anger coming towards uh nate in some ways like he must have known in a lot of ways before he tweeted that that people weren't going to be like yeah dude like you're absolutely right because <laughs> yeah. the narrative at that point you know for anthony edwards was at, at, at that point in the, in the game rather not not up to this point in the season but at that point in the game was a positive one and he came in kind of um ran on a parade that everyone was really enjoying and no one likes the debbie downer from either so i do oh, understand the, the response as well and even if i i think in this sense maybe i don't really agree with you know either either side no i think we're on the same page with that i think a lot of people are that like there is some happy medium we're not able to fall into generally on twitter and in general that's a that's across the board but also when it comes to this conversation when someone has an amazing dunk and everyone's psyched about it you coming in and doing like he's over seven and he's inefficient is like uh, okay dude like again you don't get if you don't want to enjoy it that's on you i don't i I personally liked the dunk i'm going to talk about the dunk and then tomorrow i'm going to talk about the fact that the dunk wasn't enough to like change around a season that's been dismal. That's, those are two things that can happen, right? But the response obviously was a little more detailed uh, for Master Tez because he actually put out a video and it was a much more like, it wasn't just, you know, a couple of tweets. It was a real thought process. And to summarize the, the tone of the video or, well, not the tone, the actual full-on content of the video was analytics is ruining fandom nerds are not only ruining sports but are not real sports fans that was the start and end of the video in the middle was a lot of uh bemoaning the idea that the there is the the highlight the great dunk the amazing you know block whatever it is has been overtaken by what he calls nerds who care more about analytics than they do about i don't know the beauty of the game and it was just an incredibly condescending tone towards a specific type of fan who engages with the game uh, in a certain way, which is like perhaps maybe through analytics more than through highlights or something like that. You and I are not here to say how to be a fan or which way is right or wrong, but I do want to talk about the idea that um, number one, that analytics are causing some schism in our understanding of like our ability to appreciate great athletes. And number two, the idea that there's a certain way to be a fan and you can ruin it by caring about one thing more than the other. Like we've talked about this a bit, but I want to hear you explain, kind of start with the idea that like analytics themselves in the NBA and sports in general, but specifically in the NBA 
is our analytics ruining anything about the game for you? What is your understanding of how people should be putting analytics into perspective when they're watching basketball? Yeah, I mean, essentially, I, I, I feel that it's changing the game. Um, you know, I think that uh, an amazing example of that, um, you know, visually that I've seen recently um, was the book Sprawl Ball by Kurt Goldsberry, which basically, you know, shows the evolution of the NBA shot chart over the last several years. And you kind of see how shot selection has changed. And I think the way oh, sure. that manifests itself on the court um, it's fairly obvious. Anybody who's watched the Golden State Warriors and then watched any other team sees the influence that Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and the Splash Brothers have had on, and on the game. And not only that, when you even watch youth basketball now and the high school level, you're seeing guys shoot threes way more often than ever. This is not news to anybody. Um, guys who are six foot nine, six foot ten in college, um, who are top prospects or shooting threes at a higher rate than ever before. I mean, um, yeah, I mean we don't even have, this. we don't even have the normal, like there's no real like four and five players anymore in the way that we used to understand them, even like six or seven years ago. It's very, different. yeah. I mean, the Utah jazz are shooting three pointers more often than any team in NBA history, even more than um, the golden state warriors have with Steph and clay. Like that's the, that's, that's like the craziest part to me is like, you don't even think of the Utah jazz as having any three-point shooters and they're shooting the most three-pointers ever um but you know for me um analytics has always been uh something that has been a tool uh and a language uh to aid the way that i describe the game um it's not the only vacuum at which uh i i try to really um understand the game through i think that there's a lot more nuance than that and i think that uh twitter uh, and people on twitter um, tend to not necessarily factor in nuance. I think that things can be a little bit, um, you know, kind of one way or the other on Twitter sometimes. And um, as, I think as sometimes that, they need to be. Sometimes that is like the only way to really start a discussion is to go black and white and move yourself through the gray, through debate. So it's not always a sin to have a really like ideological sort of point and then move through it. But yeah, that's what we're trying to do. But, right? but like, things are fluid and just like, you know, the, the way that I, I, I think analytics can, um, you know, best aid me in my life is by giving me the vocabulary to describe uh, something that I have that I watched during a game um, with some kind of evidence. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a great way to, to put things into context in a simple enough way that a casual reader can really understand it. Uh, sometimes if you start talking about, you know, your pivot foot or, or the uh, idea of someone's gravity and the pick and roll versus the pick and pop, all of those things you, can start sounding a lot like inside baseball and you end up losing your reader um, or your viewer, whoever it might be, fairly fast and they kind of tune out. Um, whereas if you can kind of point to a number and put it in context and be like, this is the best in the NBA in a way that's concrete, you now have them at a point where it's kind of hard to dispute that because it actually does say that. And while I think that sometimes a catch-all stat like PER, which is one uh, that the video from Bleacher Report did point out. So say what, um, say what PER is. PER is a player efficiency rating catch-all stat that basically tries to 
encapsulate someone's overall value to the team. It's like a PFF um, grade for football players. Yeah, and I think that those can be dangerous, especially if you don't know the formula. I don't like citing any stat that I don't personally know the formula of because I'm like, what am I really saying? And some of them um, are incredibly, especially when you're talking about those catch-all, um, the player efficiency ratings or ones that are like just overall grades and they have these intense sort of deep algorithms. It can be difficult to understand where they're getting, like how they're getting to their conclusion. And then how do you fully trust it? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, I mean, listen, I can say someone's PR, um, but if I don't, if I don't even know what that means, then what yeah. am I really saying? Right. Um, whereas if I can talk about someone's efficiency on a catch and shoot play versus, you know, shooting off the dribble, it's very obvious immediately what I'm saying. Um, it's a lot easier for most folks to shoot off the catch than it is for them to shoot off the dribble because you're able to do a repeated motion a lot more right. often than you would be off a dribble, which is kind of like, you know, you don't necessarily have that balance. Like yeah. these are things that you can quantify. Um, and that's why you're starting to see more catch and shoot three pointers from the corner. You know, that's just a huge part of the game. It's and different than like, if you like for people who listen to this podcast, who remember Ray Allen, like some of his like greatest shots were like these sort of catch and shoot off the corner, but sometimes he had the dribble off, and those were the ones where it was like off the dribble off center. You're like, it looks like it should go out, out of the arena. When you can hit those kinds of threes, obviously they're different. And guess what? You just explained that with analytics. Like that is, I don't understand. So part of, part of what you're just saying made so much sense to me. The idea that it actually helps player people understand the game beyond just, because like you said, there is a way to say, you know, how players work off of the pick and roll, their natural athleticism, what their body allows them to do. Those are things. That's one that vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. That's through nuance. And through being a really uh, like dedicated fan, under, you watch a lot of games and you start seeing reps. That's something that you can do, especially as a writer, because you're watching so much basketball. But a lot of us don't have that much time to watch that much basketball. Like we need you, like I can watch a lot of the Celtics, right? So I can see what the Celtics are doing and I can see kind of like, I can tell you a little bit more about those players than I can about another team. But if I see stats and analytics, analytic, you know, interpretations of what they're doing mathematically. I can then compare what I've seen from Jalen Brown statistically to somebody like Donovan Mitchell. And I can start to have a context that I wouldn't have because I can't watch Donovan Mitchell. I just can't, I don't have enough time. And that gives me a broader understanding of what's going on across the league. So they're both two things existing simultaneously for me personally. That's how I understand the game. And I remember and, like there, someone told me once why American fans don't like soccer. And the reason we don't like soccer, which I actually love soccer. So I'm not taking credit for this. I grew up playing. I love it. But the reason Americans don't like soccer is because there is a lack of statistics. There, there are very few ways you can use numbers to explain how, why, which player is better than the other outside of goals, assists, maybe some steals. There's like the goaltender, but there are very, very few statistics. If you go through soccer and you like look through the numbers of like efficiency and stuff, it's, it's hard. They call it the beautiful game because it's almost ex entirely an eye test sport. And we like numbers. 
We like things to fall back on. It helps us contextualize what we're seeing. Yeah, and for me, you know, I think that a lot of those things are are incredibly true, and it also can help a player get better. I mean, you mentioned um, you mentioned Red Allen. I mean, one player who who obviously certainly does agree uh, with the analytics take is uh, Shane Battier, um, you know, one of Ray Allen's former teammates, uh, who you know is currently the director of basketball analytics and development for the Miami Heat. I mean, Shane Battier. Uh, was able to be a two-time NBA champion um, and played for over a decade in the NBA, um, in large part, elongating his career because of his understanding um, of what an efficient shot was and and what the best ways to uh, really find his most effectiveness is. These are the same things that a coach would tell you, and he's able to see it, you know, in the numbers. And obviously, you know, it's a mix of you know, the time in the gym and it's a mix of watching film and learning tendencies and stuff. But, you know, if the numbers tell you that a certain player favors going to the left and as a defender, you know, that it's going to be a lot easier for you to stop them. Like that's not a bad thing. That's only a good thing for it's the super game. fun. It's super cool that players have access to that kind of stuff now. And if you think that's like, these guys play video games, they know, like they like are constantly engaging with strategy. They, whether players want to admit it or not, analytics are an added element to the game, like you said, to make them better. It gives them an edge, another way to like get that edge. And we, the star of this era is LeBron James, who might be the most naturally athletic person on the planet. Doesn't take, doesn't take numbers, doesn't take anything. Someone who'd never watched basketball could watch him and be like, I think that guy's insanely good. Got it. But even LeBron James uses analytics. The guy doesn't even fucking need them and he uses them. It's just like, that's the part, that's what sports do. And by the way, we've, analytics in the way that we understand them have always existed. We just didn't have, like you've used the word vocabulary and that's the right word. We just didn't call them that. And, you know, before there was all of this idea of money ball and what the NBA and the NFL are doing currently, there was, it was just strategy. It was just noticing patterns in how plays over the course of time worked or didn't and adjusting to that. It's always existed. And so when people say, you know, would this have happened in earlier eras of the NBA? The answer is yes, it was happening. There were, there were rules to stop Shaq. There were rules to stop Jordan that were put in place by other teams who were trying to figure out how to analytically attack these players. That's what they were doing. And eventually there will get to a point with the three point revolution where the post play is going to have an advantage again, Mm -hmm. um, things ebb and flow. um, I love that point. That's such a good point. If the defenders are only equipped and small to, you know, there's a smaller and they're more equipped to be quick on the perimeter, like, next shot comes along and able to dominate in the post like you know you even saw that with the golden state warriors this year they had the number two overall pick the warriors have been known for small ball over the last several years but number two overall pick they picked james wiseman who's you know seven foot plus with a seven foot five plus wingspan um because they saw that the lakers just won a title with anthony davis but not only that to get through them you also have to beat 
the Denver Nuggets have Nikola Jokic, the Minnesota Timberwolves who have Carl Anthony Towns, the Utah Jazz who have Rudy Gobert, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Zion Williamson, all of these big men who are incredible interior presences. Like, you can't not have someone who's able to match up with them. So, yeah, like, the idea of Draymond being the classic or the uh, the uh, small ball five is not going to work as much when um, you know Anthony Davis has six inches on him in height, right. and that's realistically you know uh, a, 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 a you know things start to go one way on the pendulum and they're going back the, the other way because yeah. now Wiseman is more of a traditional center, um, and they used the number two overall pick on him like that's a very valuable asset. They could have used that to trade for another shooter if they wanted to. Um, but they didn't, you know, they chose to select that big man. And that's something that, you know, we'll see time and time again, as we learn more about what the advantages are. I think you see something in basketball all the time, you know, called like an advantage. And that's part of one of the reasons why, you know, when someone switches on you uh, in a certain uh, defense, like you might pass to the guy uh, where the small guy has switched on to the bigger guy um, because now the small guy, the bigger guy has an advantage. Like that's an advantage. Like, advantages happen all of the time and this is just another advantage that you can have whether it's a physical advantage um or some sort of analytical advantage and that's fairly obvious um that's a fairly obvious explanation but one that i feel like has been kind of discounted in this narrative like it's just it's a tool in your toolkit um that you can use to um you know create opportunities for yourself and I think that a lot of folks over the years, the longer they stay in the NBA, uh, start to really improve their shot selection. Um, Jordan Clarkson for the Utah Jazz this year has emerged as um, the leading six man of the year favorite because That's he's no dad. longer taking. Yeah, he's no longer taking. Uh, yeah, well, uh, his his days on the Lakers were interesting, man, because he he obviously showed some potential, but I think that he was known as a, a chucker, like someone yeah. who just really threw up shots. And uh, with Utah this year, he's been way more calculated and he's kind of following, um, you know, people say this in basketball or in, in baseball money ball, but um, Maury ball uh, named after Houston, former Houston Rockets executive, uh, Daryl Maury now with the Philadelphia 76ers um, is, you know, one of the main principles is that, uh, the best shots in basketball are either open shots at the rim or shots beyond the arc. So you can kind of see how much someone follows that principle by tracking to see how often their shots come either at the rim or beyond the arc. And Clarkson, who used to be a guy who shot a lot for the mid range, uh, is now somebody who's having almost all of his shots either directly at the rim or beyond the arc. You're not seeing any long mid range shots from him anymore. And, and by the way, like you said, if there's if there's a player or a team that starts shooting super high efficient, highly efficient, you know, from the 17, you know, 16, 17 feet out, they're taking mid-range jumpers and that's how they're winning games. And all of a sudden it's working and they have a whole system in place that does it that way. Guess what? What's going to happen? Analytics are going to shift to reflect that because that's what they did with the Warriors. And that's what they're going to do for the next thing. Just like you said, and when the next big guy comes along who no one knows how to guard in the post, Everything again, analytics will shift to reflect how to how to deal with that. It's they are not a set fixed structure of things. They are always dictated by what's working. It is only it is a it is a an effect and not a cause. Analytics don't cause things. They reflect things and then they are then they create a blueprint for how to do what you want to do for the moment. There was 
Like it took a long time to, for people in the modern game right now in the NFL to figure out that going forward on fourth down was more efficient. I never thought I'd see so many people go out for it on fourth down in my life. Never thought it. You're at some point they might have to get rid of punting altogether. That might be something that happens in the NFL. And they're going to be a bunch of people who lose their minds because now we don't have punting as if it fucking matters. Things change. You also can't hit the quarterback anymore. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're still watching because this is how it goes. Things change. Times change. LeBron James has played in the NFL and the NBA since the mid 2000s, like early, what was it? 2003. So 2003, he's been playing in the NBA. He's played through multiple eras. He's still good because he just moves with the game. Tom Brady has been playing since 2001. Still good because he's moved with the game. It doesn't look at anything like it did before. Why are you so anxious? They're not. It's all good. Like I don't, and call, this is what I want to move on to is the idea of, first of all, I think nerds, I think calling someone nerds is just like super, um, it's like intentionally rude. It's being used as a, it was a word being used to be like, you guys are the losers. You're nerds for liking the math. And I don't love that language. And again, like he's not the first person to use it. It's like you said, it's a conversation that's out there. He is a part of a group of people who think this way. He just happens to be the person who like put the conversation on the platform yesterday. But like, I don't think it's, uh, what do you feel about the, like the, the nature of NBA fandom right now? Because a lot of times when I dip in, and again, I'm dipping in and out a lot. So you tell me more because I only know, like for the most part, I'm in NBA Twitter through Celtics Twitter, and that's its own group of weirdos. But when I dip in, it just seems honestly like very condescending. And um, and I I'm in NFL Twitter. It's not like it's not like it's a beautiful rainbow of sunshine over there, but there doesn't seem to be the same disconnect between um types of fans. And I'm trying to figure out, is this a generational thing? Is it a, and again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but are certain people in the media pandering to athletes in a way that they think might give them a little bit of cred? Because I see that a lot. And by the way, it happens more in the NBA than it happens in any other league with anybody, any other media. Is, is this a little bit of pandering to athletes? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, um, to address one point, I, I do only watch the NFL for Johnny Hacker. Um, so if punting yes. ever goes away, then you know <laughs> you can you, you you can kiss my Rams ticket goodbye. <laughs> um, but to your point, uh, I think that you know you're seeing a lot of players take the side of um, you know the, the video that we saw yesterday. I think you know we saw CJ McCollum send a tweet about it. We've seen some former players hop in and. Uh, even point to a lapse in judgment that Michael Porter Jr. and some players on the Denver Nuggets had um, at a game last night, um, you know, credited to uh, analytics. And I think that, you know, these kind of things, yeah, sometimes like um, those shortcomings can be can be attributed to, uh, you know, an argument that I'm not necessarily sure that I agree with. But um when it comes to the state of NBA fandom and um, all of that, I think that a lot of it, um, you know, for me, like I'm, I'm intimidated by NFL Twitter because I don't have as much 
confidence in my football knowledge. So, um, you know, I think it kind of all depends on who you follow and that's a little bit of a cop out sometimes. Right. Um, but I think that there are certain people who maybe are more, more intimidating because of the way that they, you know, speak down to their followers or whatever. Um, just, that I've kind of learned to mute and not have I think my it's time. a lot of, I think NBA media turns me off a lot. I get it. Like, that's why I talk to you because you give me a perspective that's better and um, more complete. And like you said, there's a comfortability factor because I don't cover the NBA, but I once worked in NBA media pretty closely and it's always turned me off. It's always made me feel as though the players what the players see is the most important thing. And I think that that's part of what I was maybe pro- either projecting onto that video yesterday or fearing might be part of what was going on, which is like this idea that as long as we can get in with the players, as long as they're on my side, as long as, you know, this is the narrative that's out there. And I'm not saying you do that. And I'm not saying a lot of people do that. It's just there are, there are more people who do that in the NBA than anybody else. And I think it's to the detriment of fans. And I, and like, I don't, I haven't seen anybody talk to sports fans in the way that people yesterday and not just, not just master Tez, a bunch of other people on his side as well, talked down to other fans of the sport they love that they cover. There's just really dark. I don't know, man. It's just, it was, it, it just makes me feel um like they're the priority is the players and not the fans a lot of times yeah i mean i think in general um the nba is the most player driven league i think that you know even at utah today we have sites directly dedicated to a player i don't know if the nfl market would make as much sense for that because i think in general people choose who they watch based off of loyalty to the teams i mean my dad has watched the dallas cowboys for generations doesn't matter who's on the team I think that a lot of folks might be more willing to change which team they root for based off of what jersey LeBron James is wearing that season. You're 100%. seeing that more and more often in basketball, and I think that uh, it's by design, and I think that um, Adam Silver, uh, the commissioner of the NBA, is the most player-friendly of the commissioners. Um, realistically, he very rarely does things um, that the players dislike. I think he kind of listens to exactly their needs. I think you're, you, you see more guaranteed contracts and player-friendly contracts in basketball than you do uh, in other sports, uh, specifically football, where, you know, the the injuries make the guarantee, the non-guaranteed contracts terrifying. Um, and you look at, you know, things like what happened with Dak Prescott this year and kind of your heart breaks for it. And I think that that happens less often um, in basketball. It's just generally speaking, a a very player-friendly league. So I think the media does follow suit with that. Um, You know, I also think that because, you know, you see their faces and, you know, it's a smaller roster in general, you know, you kind of have to, um, you, I think that it's, it's a lot easier to think about the players um, on a more individual basis than you do with the team. Cause a football team is such a, you know, sum is greater than whatever, Right. phrases of its parts um because there's so many players in a football team um with basketball it's a fairly small locker room you kind of and you see their faces when you play and you see their emotions so i don't know i think a lot of basketball players or basketball media um do have fear of upsetting these players because you upset one of them and you know especially if you're a b writer 
you don't have too many other guys to talk to. I mean, yeah. um, and to your point, I, I mean, if the whole infrastructure is player driven, like you said, the commissioner's player friendly, the league is, you know, all whatever, then it, the media has to reflect that. Like in, in a lot of ways, they don't really always it's have the a mood choice. around the league from the top yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I spoke to you know, one player before the season started uh, rookie and, you know, he was telling me about all the mock drafts that he printed out that had him going in the second round or the big boards that had players before him and talked about, you know, why he's better than all those guys and how the journalists are stupid for that. I mean, you upset that guy. That's one of the only 12 guys you're really going to talk to on the team. Yeah. And if you're a beat writer that did that, like kind of screwed. I mean, Draymond Green still remembers every player that was picked in front of him in the draft. And, um, you know, these players say things personally. And I think that happens for all major sports, competitive sports, are incredibly competitive people. You see that in the greatest of all time in every regard. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant were um, just absolutely lunatics when it came to that. Hundredth um, percentile competitiveness people. Um, so I think that, you know, the fear of upsetting them and then having to talk to them in the locker room is a real one. Yeah. Um, and especially this year um, when we don't even have locker room access. I mean, you got to go with whatever um, access you have. And, you know, if you upset, a player and that upsets his agent, you may have just lost the connection to several people through that. And that well, I mean, essentially you're just describing, really I mean, you're, de- yeah, you're describing sports reporting. Right. And that is certainly like, you know, there is an element of, like you said, there's only so many players on a basketball team and you're only going to be able to, you know, get them to open up to you so much. Um, I think that there is a difference between being respectful of a player and uh and attacking an entire segment of the people who watch the sport (laughs) and like that is uh that was like a very again like it wouldn't have weirded me out if it had just been an isolated you know opinion of somebody who just like put it out there and you know whatever was received the way it was a lot of people in nba media feel the same way master tens does which is like i guess that's why like we're having this conversation which is there is a real, like, for some of the biggest names in NBA media to be propagating this idea that people who employ analytics in this way are nerds, that the sport is better off without, when in reality, it is driving the entire league, to me is like, I, I, that's just absolutely crazy. It's just absolutely crazy to me. Like, this is this we're beyond arguing whether analytics work like we're beyond that this is not 2004 like we we are into the world where this is a part of every day and and some of the most followed people on NBA Twitter yesterday were a part of this conversation and a part of the like anti-nerd brigade it just like really was so crazy so like you know we've said most of what we're going to say about it but I do just think that like there's something broken in the algorithm between like what we're seeing on Twitter and the conversations that are happening real time and the reality of the NBA. I mean, I think that the, 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 the point that I think backs up what we're trying to say the most here is just, you know, if you think about the last 10 years of basketball, the team that had the most success is the Golden State Warriors, not the team that really embraced analytics and three-point shooting and um the value of why a three-point shot is worth more than two points um and then creating a team based off of that 
Um, you know, no one's saying not to enjoy a dunk by Anthony Edwards. Um, well, but, that one guy is, and he's lame. That's well, Nate, Nate Duncan didn't say not to enjoy it, um, but he did point out that Anthony Edwards was over seven from three, and that's <laughs> At true. At the same exact time that it was happening. I mean, you might as well have said, can, don't enjoy the dunk. Like, you might as well have said. The Minnesota Timberwolves have the worst record in the NBA this yeah, season. Yeah, they're bad, man. Yeah. And, and what a lot of that has to do with how inefficient Anthony Edwards has been. Yeah. And that's real. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm sorry, but it's true. And obviously Anthony Edwards can get better and he will get better. Um, yeah. But he wasn't an, he wasn't an efficient player in college either. Um, yeah. You know, the players who were more efficient than Anthony Edwards in college are still efficient players in the NBA now. Um, the rookies that is, I mean, uh, Tyrese Halliburton from TCU uh, is now one of the more efficient players in the league for the Sacramento Kings. Um, I sorry, I said from TCU. Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State um, was one of the more efficient players in college last year, and is now one of the more efficient players in the league for the Sacramento Kings. Um, Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman uh, were both really efficient players in college, and both selected by the Memphis Grizzlies, and both you know earned their way into playing time so, uh, as so well immediately. So your point, which I think is actually a good one, is enjoy, like his point was like, this is a great dunk, but what does it really matter beyond a nice little highlight that we're probably not even going to care about because he can't help his team win? Like it's versus if we saw an incredible dunk from LeBron James or like apparently anyone on the Utah Jazz or these players who are genuinely helping their teams win and giving us like the, like posterizing people and giving us these amazing, like there is a level of like, no, we can say like cool dunk, bro, but what have you done for me before? And what will you do after this? Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I wouldn't have tweeted what Nate did at the timing uh, of it, but I agree with this point. I mean, Mm -hmm. Anthony Edwards is, is, has has not done a lot to help his team win this year. And I think that he's going to get better. I think he is among the highest upsides um, in the NBA among young players because of his, insane athletic ability i mean he's got nfl level athleticism and the force that he brings in the rim is very very real um but you know there's a lot of areas that he needs to improve before he starts you know taking his team to the playoffs um and so if you're a team like minnesota that's in it for the long haul um that's fine you can wait and be patient if you're a team that wants you know someone who can pay off immediately you know that's how you end up with um you know someone like Peyton Pritchard, who's been, you know, a rotation player immediately that's been uh, fairly productive uh, for, for uh, Boston without being too inefficient. So it, it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think that I, I know that think people value things differently, but yeah, I mean, Anthony Edwards did have a highlight dunk um, and that's what it was, you know, and yeah. <laughs> there's I, nothing I, else I to say about it. it was like this was a great dunk by a player who's otherwise done not not much very cool we got to see his athleticism we'll see what he does down the road like super cool to see it but we yeah, all but know everyone knew that everyone knew he was athletic everyone knew he was athletic that was part of like you said it's part of the reason he was drafted the way what what like everything about it was like yeah of course he should be able to do this and it was awesome to see it and we also don't have to like live in it for the next two months either like it can just be like we've seen incredible dunks. Some of the best dunks I've ever seen are from players whose names I cannot remember. Like it, it, it's a moment in time and a, an Anthony Edwards dunk in the middle of one of the, like of the, 
the season for the team at last place in the league is a little less exciting than a dunk by somebody who's like a superstar. It just, it's, it's, that's okay. It's also, it's also a little bit less exciting than a championship parade. And I think that, you know, a lot of times the teams that embrace analytics are the ones that are getting to have a championship parade and raise that trophy at the end of the year. Dude, I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. People have been telling the page, we told the Patriots for 20 years, every year was like, what is, what is Bill Belichick doing? Why has he got this like guy I've never heard of that he traded for from the Lions starting at linebacker? You can't do it this way. He doesn't have enough. They have to buy receivers. And every year they'd make it to the Super Bowl. Every year, every year they made it to the Super Bowl. Every year people would be like, you can't build a team this way. And then after like 15 years, they're like, oh, I think Bill Belichick's a really good GM. It just, it doesn't matter. The, if you, like you said, if you have a ring at the end of everything, if you're playing in NBA finals, it doesn't matter. Your fans don't care. The reporters don't care. By the way, NBA reporters who've worked for the Warriors have become like national names because the Warriors have been so like, they've been a dynasty. It's good for the media when teams are good. It's really good for the local media when teams are good. Like there are people whose entire careers were made by the fact that the Patriots were in the Super Bowl every single year. And the same thing happened to the Warriors and the same thing happened to the one guy who covers LeBron James, who's been on our TVs for 15 years. Like he just was smart enough to start covering LeBron James. Like you're talking about Cleveland's own Brian Whitehorst. Yes. He's the, he's been the the LeBron James inside. It's just the whisperer. It's good for media when teams are good. Stop freaking out about why they're good. Like, it's just, it brings me to my final point, which I want to talk about before you go, which is like, there is a current little bit of a problem in the NBA with people realizing that the middle of the season doesn't matter. It started with players like resting and sitting out, right? And then the whole Kawhi thing. But it's really just kind of gotten to the point where because of the, I mean, the season's a little bit shortened, obviously, but even still, we're dealing with the fact that like, you pretty much know who's going to be in the playoffs. Seven, eight seeds up for grabs. Okay. But for the most part, you know, like the, the real contenders are going to be in the playoffs. They kind of don't have to try at certain times. They can rotate players in. They can survive these, uh, these mid-season injuries, maybe milk them a little bit more than they normally would. And understandably, fans and people start to think that these games are meaningless. And to some extent, especially for like the long term, they are. Like in the short term, those, of course, the games aren't meaningless. You're finding out so much about other players, people who aren't on our radar every day. Like you're finding out about systems and the way these teams play together. If you, you know, the, what the Miami Heat did last year, you could track it back to things that they were doing we weren't noticing when we thought it didn't matter and it did, you know, when we thought it was going to be the Raptors or the Bucks or the Celtics or whatever. And, and, and it wasn't, and it was them. And you can look back and say, okay, here we are. But realistically, there is a slog in the middle of the season. Do you think that the NBA is evolving the way societally players have more power across all leagues, specifically in the NBA? They have more power. They are more uh, aware of how they're of the the uh, toll on their bodies that playing sports takes. Is it time to start reconsidering what the NBA regular season looks like, or do you think this is a like let it pass situation? Of course it is. Uh, The NBA regular season was shortened this year. And that's not just because of the pandemic. They've been trying to push the shorter season for years. And this year, they, they got that through. Um, I think it'll continue to be shortened. 
um, next year as well. I don't I know if it'll be know. shortened. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit. I don't know so much about about trying to shorten the season. They may have been thinking about it, but that'll be a much harder sell to their TV partners. And so I'm not sure it's just going to be a, a given that there's going to be 10 fewer games next season. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I can see it returning to 82 games. Um, I mean, I do know that they wanted to push it, push the season back, you know, to start, you know, closer to Christmas anyway. So that was that was something that they've been considering for a minute. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, I guess it's not a given that it'll go back to it, but um Realistically, I'm not. I wasn't surprised uh, when they agreed, you know, to have a shortened season this year. Um, and I think when it comes to what you're talking about, I think it's yeah, it's evidenced really clearly by um, what's going on with the Lakers right now. I mean, they're on a huge win streak, and it doesn't matter um, at all because Anthony Davis will be back in term in time for the playoffs, and that's when the Lakers need to play well. And I think that. Um, you know, especially with the play-in tournament, a lot of teams make the playoffs. Um, so I, I think that that's something that um, is very real, and there's a lot of fatigue on the NBA regular season. But, you know, I think that uh, ultimately it's going to be, you know, follow, follow the money. And um, like what you said, the TV partners will, will probably have the ultimate say in that because, you know, that's going to go into the basketball-related income that creates the salaries for the players too. So, you know, I think it's a multi multi pronged thing. Um, but I, I think in terms you, of I mean, like competitive balance, the, do you feel the fatigue in the middle of the season? Like, just like, do you see, like, is there a, as someone who's a huge NBA fan who covers it, do you feel the like, I'm kind of sick of watching this. I'm ready for May. Yes. I mean, I think most people prefer the playoffs of their sport though. than the No, I don't season. even mean just playoffs. I mean, like, you know, when you have to actually start fighting for your spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely. Um, I think that it's especially fatiguing this year because we have barely had an off season. It went immediately from the playoffs to the draft cycle, to free agency, to the start of the season, you know, without even summer league or, or anything. In between, really. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There's I mean, also- I'm particularly exhausted this year. I think a lot of people are. Is because like realistically, like just taking shaving ten games off doesn't make that big of a difference. It's still happening right now. The the way to make every basketball game matter would be to like slash the regular season. We're talking like maybe close to slashing it in half and creating a much different, like a different looking like season altogether, right? That's the only way that you get rid of mid-season slogs. I mean, they've always existed. It's not like that they'd never happened before. It's just that players would just play through it or be injured, or they would take like illegal drugs that make their bodies feel like they're fine when they're not, right? We don't do that anymore. We're we're never involved. heard of that. Never heard um, of that. But like that, like, would you be would you consider like let's say hypothetically, I'm gonna just be fun right now. If they cut the the season down to Let's say 45 games. They cut the regular season to 45 games and then tweak whatever the playoff system is, whether they round robin it, I don't give a shit. Let's just say it's a more extensive playoff environment. And it's a totally different look. You, how do you, like, first thoughts about something like that that would basically change 
everything about the NBA regular season as we know it. I mean, I, th- I think I personally would be in favor of that because everything would be more high stakes and high leverage. So, you know, I think there would be more attention on, on the league and, you know, my writing. <laughs> so it'd be better for my career. It would be. Um, You're right. That's smart. It, Good job, buddy. Be, <laughs> if it would be something that would have significantly fewer games for the players, then, you know, I think it's not even something worth considering because, you know, that would change their income too much so that they wouldn't ever sign on to it. The NBA would never agree to it. So, um, you know, I think if they still found a way to keep high leverage situations on TV for, for a very long time and players made some amount of money, then yeah, I mean, I'd be in favor, but um, otherwise, you know, I just, it, it still doesn't really matter how I feel about it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an extreme hypothetical here. So you can feel however you want about my very oh. fake idea. <laughs> Right, right. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is like if, if there was a way for it to happen where the players still played the same total amount of games and thus had the same amount of money they are making, then right, yeah, right. I mean, I, I'd yeah. of course it'd be I'm I, I mean I I'm not a traditionalist in any real That's what I mean. Yeah, like, right. I yeah, you're not I don't, you're not gonna miss I Yeah, I mean I don't mind change, um, especially if you can justify it. Uh basketball has been more willing to do that kind of stuff than I think a lot of leagues though. I mean, you saw you see that, you know, even with just the all-star game going, uh, you know, to a target score instead of a final score. I mean, um, the fact that they're doing a play-in tournament this year. I mean, uh, these kind of things uh, happen in the NBA fairly um, fairly regularly where they make pretty big changes. I mean, obviously, the all-star game final score isn't a big change, but it just shows that they're willing to experiment with even how the game uh, yeah. is played. I mean, that really does change the way the game is played. So I, um, I feel like a ra- I feel like a round robin in especially in the NBA would be so cool because that's when you start getting to see the matchups and how different teams play. Like, it's like, okay, we can now watch the Nets and the Sixers both play the Bucks and like see how those teams are all within a small time frame where we're like, they're all playing in playoff games and like exactly what the matchups are like. And the draw like you know what teams do you pull what kind of groups have to play each other like is there a I don't know if you watch ever watch soccer but like there's always like a group of death because they'll do a tournament they'll do a draw where it's like you know you'll end up with like four of the best teams all have to play each other and it's a shit show and it seems really unfair but it's actually kind of cool and the stakes make it actually crazy I just would like love that I think it would make be really really cool and would help me understand the game even better by being able to watch these teams rotate playing each other. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, I mean, I think relegation's fun too. I mean, oh, the idea of it is so high, so high stakes. I mean, um, yeah, I, I don't know. There, I think that basketball is 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 a very progressive sport in that way. I mean, the G League Night team, you know, is a radical concept that is happening uh, in a very successful way. I mean, the G League is also experimenting. Um, right now with uh, free throws being worth two points instead of one if you make the first one second one counts uh, as well so it speeds up the game or whatever like that kind of stuff is happening oh wait they're doing that in the g league yeah wow Um, that's so cool and and they they test things out in the g league all the time and um you know that that doesn't happen in high liver situations so final two minutes of the game or whatever um it goes back to normal um but yeah i mean i think that that's the kind of thing that's probably worth um following is that adam silver is someone who's willing to listen to these kind of ideas um, That's super cool. and and the more often that fans suggest them and it gets to 
the media that gets to the players and it gets to the player association or whatever it might be where someone might hear of something or think of something. Uh, I think it's a league that's willing to listen. Um, and that's something that I do like about basketball and the NBA in general. Well, Brian, you are at the end of the day, much more of a pragmatist than I am. So I appreciate you bringing like a lot of level-headedness to this conversation, <laughs> but also the fact that like you did, you really do give me a much better understanding of the like, overall tone of the conversation like like i said like i get very in the weeds a lot of the times with some of the stuff and i care a lot i really do i care about these conversations because i think it reflects the future of what we're doing in sports media and i think that like the relationships between media and fans can be really strenuous it makes our jobs harder and not as fun and you bring a little bit like i get really high energy and high octane and like I appreciate the fact that you can bring a lot of like common sense and fair both sides stuff to this because it's genuinely necessary and I'm not being a jerk I'm not like being sarcastic you really are so good at that side of things and that's why I go to you about the NBA like you're not I there are a lot of other people I could talk to about this league and I talk to you not just because you're my friend but because you see it from a way that is like it's from, I grew up loving the NBA, but I also cover it and you see it from all the sides. And so a lot of people, they get into it and they stop being fans and you haven't done that. And I think that you're a super valuable resource. I hope other people realize that. And even if it's just my NFL followers, like please follow Brian, if you care about the NBA at all, like it's, he's like a good person to be paying attention to read his stuff. Um, like d this is a person you can trust to cover this in a way that's like, you're never going to feel like you're being misled or the target of some sort of uh, hot take. Like this is a guy you can trust and I trust you implicitly. So thank you for having this conversation with me today. Thank you. And I appreciate all the kind words as well. I mean, that's a, a very, very, um, very nice thing to hear. And, uh, one of those situations where, you know, keeps you motivated. So, um, it's good to know that I'm appreciated by you and uh, definitely will, will help me keep grinding, I think, as the season continues, because it's, it's been a wild one. Tell the people where they should be, like, finding you and where, like, what's, what's the content they should be getting from you and where should they be getting it? Uh, I mean, my Twitter would be the greatest place for that, I would say, uh, which is my, just my name, which is in the, uh, in the description. Um, B R Y N K L B R O S K Y. So uh, that's kind of uh, where I would point folks because um, I've got multiple publications. So the Twitter is a great way to kind of have that timeline uh, in one place. Um, awesome. So, yeah. All right. Well, then find him at, at Brian Kalbrowski on Twitter. Uh, lots of good stuff. Your stuff always comes up uh, when I'm I'm building topics for my shows. And so like you guys, when you're reading this stuff, this is literally how we find a lot of topics for our shows is finding people we trust on the internet who are writing columns and doing the work and pulling from there. So if you want to think like a producer, go read Brian's stuff. Uh, thank you for again for talking to me about this today. I appreciate you taking the time on a beautiful sunny Friday afternoon in New York City. I hope that you're able to go out and enjoy some of that sunshine. <laughs>